Bible, open up to Acts chapter 6, and if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand and uh, Claire or Piper can bring one for you, but I'd love for you all to be able to look at the text. We're going to get back into Acts here, and I'm excited about getting back into this, and um, since it's been a while since we've, we've uh, been into it, I want to do some quick review, so I've got a number of verses we're going to put up on the stage, or on the, the screen, to just walk us through the text of Acts, um, and uh, so the first one is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I've got it on the screen. It says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you, you know, you could think about the book of Acts as like the launch of the church, and this is, the, this is their marching orders. But Jesus is also telling them, I'm going to send some power. The Holy Spirit's going to be this power source that's going to make it all possible. And so he promises this to happen. The other thing that's interesting about this verse is it's actually an outline of the book of Acts. Because it starts in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and then it goes on to the end of the world. And it really is a a movement that Jesus is kicking off. And there's so many cool things for us to learn as a new church and being a part of the movement of God throughout history in making disciples, because that's, that's what our mission is. Another, another verse, Acts 2, 1 through 4, and this is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house when they, uh, where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And if you remember back, we, we talked about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit and how that, that is not um, uh, this idea of like you're a cup where you just get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit really means to be like you don't have part of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all of you, if, if that makes sense. So so. You don't get a partial Holy Spirit. The, whole, the full God is in your life. The question is, is how much does he have of who I am? And, and remember, the evidence of that is Acts 2, 13. In every other place, the same idea talks about when it talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It uses this illustration. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. In other words, it's a correlation to being controlled by alcohol is, this, is the same kind of idea where the Holy Spirit is controlling my life. That, that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God was giving them that power. He promised it. And then later on in Acts 2, it gives this incredible idea, so many things packed into it. Uh, verse 42, he said, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So God's beginning to form these communities these local churches start to get formed. And, it, and, and I love the idea of it saying they devoted themselves to these things. Um, they were all in on, on what God was doing through the church. And then a little bit further, Acts 4, 24 through 30, we see how they prayed. And when they had heard it, in other words, the, the report from Peter and John that they were getting threatened by the leadership of, of, at, at the time, or the powers that be, It says, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, uh, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Remember we talked about how they followed the model that Jesus gave to them and how to pray, which is the, the, the short version is seek his face before you seek his hand. And that's really what they start off. It's just worshiping who God is. And then they're talking about their needs. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then down in uh, chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, we saw they, they start getting organized. They, they start forming some of the leadership they needed and, and meeting needs. And, and this is just a summary, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom you will anoint to appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the, the apostle was saying, hey, this, this is the job God's given us we got to make sure we stay focused on that, but we have needs for other leaders to, to do other roles, to do other, other parts. And then the next section we'll see is actually there's going to be three major figures that we're going to see, and we're going to look at just one of them this week, and that guy is Stephen. And at this point, the book of Acts begins to move out of Jerusalem. And Stephen, we're going to see, is, is really the start of that. God uh, uses this incredible event in Stephen's life. And if you know the story, you know that he's about to get killed uh, for standing up for the truth that he was speaking. Um, he's actually the first recorded Christian martyr uh, in, in the, the New Testament. And you guys are going to see that you know, he is an amazing guy. A guy. I mean, what, what Stephen does, his boldness and his courage and how God works through him is incredible. But we need to be reminded that that is because of what God is doing through his life, not because of anything special about Stephen, as we'll, we'll get into this. And that's, again, true for us as well here at Harvest Ashburn. There's, there's nothing particular or special about us, our methods, or anything that we are doing our way. It's really the power of God that's going to work through us. It's the power of God in each person's life engaged in, in like what Brian was saying, the one another's, all those things. That's the power. The power of God in each, each person's life. Um, so uh, look at verse 8, the very first verse. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So amazing stuff is pretty typical of what we read here in Acts. But I think it's important to realize that grace is something that God gives. Power, as we've already said, is something that God gives. So these aren't things that Stephen's doing. These are things that God's doing and flowing through him. Great uh, grace and power is flowing through him. And, uh, and I've got the big idea up on the screen here. Actually, let me, before I get there, um, well, you can go ahead and put it up there. Um, uh, that, that's fine, Tim. Uh, but I think it's important to realize, though, how and where that power came from. If you look up to verse 5, It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And, and so here's the big idea that I think this gets to is that uh, the more we believe God, the more grace he will give us. And the more we respond to the Holy Spirit, the more power we will experience from him. 
So, so what did Stephen do? What Stephen was is it says full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And remember what I said before, being full of the Holy Spirit means that he's, he's saying, okay, whatever you want to do, God, I'll do. There's not a part of my life that I'm reserving for myself. Holy Spirit, you go where, where you want to go, and that's where I'm going to go with you. So, so Stephen's response is one of faith, full faith, and full you know, submission to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I want us to see as we go through this text is how that works itself out. Because what we see is God in a big way respond with grace and in a big way respond with power. Does that make sense? So, and, and, and remember, like, the power of the Holy Spirit is not, it's not like a Harry Potter kind of thing or a, you know, Star Wars, where it's just, it's just, you could just tap into it, right? Like, it's like, if, as long as I know the right incantation or the right technique, then I can wield the power whenever I want. It's nothing like that. Remember back to what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He told them, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and this great power so that you can be my witnesses, and, and, and I think the best way to think of it is, is the power of God and the Holy Spirit. It's like a, a big, powerful river. I mean, it is going the direction God wants it to go. And, and we can wade into the river a little ways and just to get our feet wet, or we can go all the way in and it just takes us over. And it is now the force of that river is taking us where it wants to go. And I think that's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's going the direction that God wants to go, and then his power is going to flow through it. You see, and so, so because he's on a mission to redeem this world. God is on a mission there. So we don't get to just go tap power when we want to to do what we want to do. I think the important, we've got to join what he's doing and go where he's going and then, and then bang, it all comes. And so we're going to go through the, this passage and there's a lot here. So hopefully we can get through it all. Um, but I, up on the screen, you'll see I've, I've got kind of two lists. One of them is belief leads to grace and the other one is obeying the spirit leads to power. And so you can use a different word there, whatever. I mean, the, the idea of, it's just being responsive to what the Holy Spirit wants. Being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants. When the Holy Spirit prompts, when the Holy Spirit directs, I'm going to obey. That's, that's, what that, that's what that category means. Um, so let's go ahead and run through the, the passage. We already re- read verse 8, and we see that there's great power because he's showing there's wonders and signs. The Holy Spirit is affirming what he's doing. And, and I think it's another amazing idea to think here that Stephen is just this dude. I mean, we don't know anything about him other than that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit and he was one of seven guys that got selected for a particular ministry. But, but he's not pigeonholed into that one little ministry. You know, I mean, it's, he, he's able to be active in, in work, however. And I, and I think that's encouraging for any of us that aren't apostles, <laughs> all of us here, that anybody can 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 have this kind of forcefulness and power and influence. It's incredible what God does through Stephen. And then what I'd like to do now is um, we're going to read through the passage, but I'd like, to, is there somebody who would volunteer to read verses 9 through 14? 9 through 14. Come on up. So I don't have to bring the mic because I want to use the mic so that we can have a recording of it. <clears throat> verses 9 through 14. Sure, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Nine through 14. Okay. Then some of those who believed to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, Cyrenians <laughs> and of the Alexandrians, 
and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. How far am I reading? Sorry, I just volunteered for something I'm not. Okay. Okay, good. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak. There's another one. Blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Oh, wait. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Awesome. Thank you, Jessica. That's good. So, so here we can see that he's out there just preaching the gospel, and he's in a synagogue. It's, it's this synagogue of the freedmen, and the research that I discovered is that basically this is Greek Jews that are gathered at this particular spot. And so maybe, I don't know if Stephen perhaps is a, is a Greek Jew, I don't know. Um, but he's there, and he's preaching the gospel, and these, these people are like, man, this guy's got to deal with him, so they take him on. But you can see that he is standing on the wisdom of God. And so that's how he's able to defeat them. And so I'm going to put this one under the category of grace, standing on God's wisdom. In other words, his faith God's grace flows, and now he's like, I believe what God says, and that's what I'm going to argue. God is smarter and knows more than anybody else. So if I stand with him and I have an argument, and I'm standing on what God's truth is, then that's what's happening. He's winning that argument. And then verse 15, I'll go ahead and read, read just that one. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So remember, keep in mind that he's winning this argument, in such a way that they actually have to raise up, like, instigators to lie about them. And then they bring them in front of the council, which is, like, 70-plus guys, super well-educated, very knowledgeable, very powerful and influential. And there's Stephen. He's got the look of an angel on his face. I mean, he is so incredibly chill. And I'll, I'll call this radical peace in confidence. He's completely fearless because his faith is not in his ability. His faith is completely in God. And now we're going to read a much larger section, verses 1 through 50 of chapter 7. Would somebody want to, who wants to read a long section? Christy, you want to, since you're up here? I'll volunteer you because you're close. Okay, what, what, tell me again. 1 through 50. 1 through 50, the 7, okay. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land, in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others 
who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. 
This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Thank you. So what we see there, I mean, look at all that Stephen believed. You know, in other words, God had revealed all this truth to them through the scriptures. Stephen didn't witness any of those things. His belief is, it's, in other words, what did God say? He believed it. It's just thing after thing after thing. He believed all of those things happened were actually true. I mean, all those details about Abraham and, and God's choosing of Abraham to bless Abraham and give them that land and through his family bless the entire world and Moses and the giving of the law and the wilderness and David and Solomon and building of the temple. And, and then if you jump down to verse 56, another significant detail that he believes. Verse 56, it says, and, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That Son of Man reference is a, is a reference back to Daniel. Um, the Son of Man was the, was the Messiah idea. So, so, so Stephen even believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that he is deity. And, and that's the idea you get from, from Daniel 7. And then verses 51 through 54, we see his fearless boldness, fearless boldness. Ben, do you wanna, did you want to read one, 51 through 54? Okay, you could stay there. You stiff-decked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. So this was not a seeker-friendly message. I think we could sum this up as saying... Um, he went right at them pretty hard. Um, and, you know, that, that's not to say that we should always 
speak in that way. I think that you see in the Apostle Paul plenty of times where he has this theme of, of he'll, he'll adjust and maneuver however he can just so that people can be persuaded by the message he has. But I think that what Stephen is sensing here is that they're not believing a key, a key thing, and so he is going right at them and, and helping them to see that this is not the first time that God's people have rejected what God has said. And, of course, their response is they are enraged, but God is filling with grace. There's a confidence there and a boldness, and his power uh, is being exhibited. And in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And that's that idea of Stephen is not resisting the Holy Spirit. Stephen is following him. And then verses uh, 55 and 56, it says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the holy the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, I just think that that is God's miraculous assurance of where he is. I mean, it's, it's just what an incredible idea. I mean, we don't know if if Stephen witnessed Jesus rose, risen from the dead. We, I don't know that the text anywhere tells us. He could have been, I think, the, I think um, it says in which, I forget which gospel, that something like 400 people saw, put eyes on the living Jesus after resurrection. We don't know if Stephen was one of those guys. But God's grace to be at this moment of, of just incredible horror and fear that God allows him to see the living Jesus to see into heaven and see the victory that death actually has been conquered. Isn't that awesome? And then verses 57 through 60, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that's one of the three characters we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. And of course, this is the man that becomes the Apostle Paul. So there he is. He's standing by approving. He might have been a part of that council. He might have been one of the guys arguing with Stephen. We don't know. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, He cried out with a loud voice. In other words, he wants people to hear what he is about to say. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I just think that is more of God's grace. Because of his belief in what Jesus has done, God is filling him with the love of Jesus for other people. Because that's the same thing that Jesus cried out on the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They knew that they were murdering a man, but they did not know that they were killing the Son of God. You know, there's just so much grace and love, even for these people that are murdering him. They have, I mean, they have no right to do what they're doing of any kind whatsoever. It is just a a crazed mob filled with rage and anger. To the point they drag him out of the city and they get rocks and they actually kill him with stones. It's crazy to think about, but the love that Stephen has for him 
It's the same love that Jesus has. And, 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 and I think that that kind of love is so powerful. And, and you've got to wonder, it's like, those words, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, were those echoing in their minds? You know, when, when they went to bed at night, you know, was that echoing in the mind of the Apostle Paul? And, and I think that part of the incredible power of this kind of love is that, and, and I think why it's such an accelerant to the gospel, and, and what I mean by that is that, is that someone wrongs you, and rather than replying in kind, you reply with love. What you're sh- you are showing them what Jesus did on the cross for them. It's, it's, it's a visual illustration, right? So he's, he's, they're telling them the gospel, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe on him and be saved. And then they, they, they abuse him, they hurt him, they murder him, and his response is love. They get to see what it looks like for someone to respond in love from hatred. Does that make sense? And so I think that, that, that when we are persecuted, when we are hated, when we are hurt, when we are wronged, that is one of the most powerful moments in the life of that other person because it's now an opportunity to show them, like, I can show you what Jesus did to you for you in a small little way. It's a tiny little thing, but they get to see, okay, I, get to see, I see now what that kind of love is like incredibly powerful. And I think, again, let's bring this back to us. God uh, is going to give us grace. He's going to give us power. But I think it comes down to the question of, do I believe what he said? Because when I believe what he said, he fills me with grace. And do I want that power? Well, I think it's just a matter of, am I being obedient to what he wants? And so I've got two questions to consider. And especially as we, we have the communion now, and, and if, if for the worship team, you can come up at this time. But I'd like for you guys to just think about these questions. These are questions that you can address to God. Is there something you have revealed that I am refusing to believe? Like a truth that God's revealed to you that you're saying, no, I, I, I refuse to believe that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. God, is there something you have directed me to do that I'm refusing to obey in, that I'm, I'm, I'm refusing to go in the direction that you want me to go. And, and just use this time as, as we contemplate after I pray, and when you're ready, come on up um, for communion. And, and remember that it's like God's grace and God's love covers everything. We have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of when it comes to following Jesus. He is a loving and good God that is ready to forgive and receive us at any and every moment. And I believe that when we believe him to the full, the grace just flows through our lives. And I, I believe that when we follow him to the full, the power flows too. And he enables and, and makes everything happen that he wants to happen in our lives. So, Father, thank you so much for this time and your word, and your truth. And God, I just pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, help us to be honest with you and with ourselves about where we are. And maybe there's something that that we've refused, something that we're not following, something that we're not believing that you've made clear to us. Lord, I, I, I don't know what that is for other people, and I can't speak into that, Lord, but you can. And Lord, so Lord, we ask you to to work and to talk to us now. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can um, receive again the grace that you promised. Lord,
Lord, and to be reminded again that, that we are your sons, we are your daughters, Lord, that you have brought complete and total victory. Father, we cannot know the future, only you can. Lord, you've told us in your word that you are going to return. Lord, and that you are going to set things right and you are going to, to, to uh, bring healing and complete, wipe away every tear and there'll be no more sorrow or sadness. Lord, we know that through Christ's resurrection, you've finished and you've completed the victory. And I, and I wonder what Stephen possibly was thinking at that very moment, this, 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 this murder that launched and exploded the church beyond Jerusalem and the movement of your people going all around the world because of this one death that he never got to see beyond. But you did let him see into heaven and see your glory and to see your pleasure with him. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see that as well and to know that with complete confidence, God, that you have brought and finished victory. No matter what the, the, the bumps and the, and the confusion and the, and, the, and the failures and the missteps and the tripping up, whatever is going to happen in the meantime, Lord, you're over all of that. And we know, again, not what happens next, tomorrow, but we know what will happen eventually with your kingdom. So, Lord, help us to be filled with your faith and filled with your spirit. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.